You are listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. I'm a high school teacher, and as part of doing that once in a while, I am involved in the process of referring students to special ed, and it's uh, somewhat complicated, so I'll simplify the process a little bit, but there's kind of three components in referring a student to receive special ed services. First, there is the expectation, or we call this a grade level in school, so this is the certain Depending on the grade, the level the student should be performing at. So there's the expectation. The second component is the ability. And they, we test the student and see what their abilities are, uh, cognitively speaking, what their abilities are, and measure that against the third component, which is the performance. How are the students actually doing in class? And so when, when there's a student who is far below expectations, far below grade level, that's what they do, they test them and see what their abilities are versus what their performance is. And if the ability is way below grade level, and so is their performance, they do not qualify to receive special education services because there's no discrepancy between their ability and their performance. In other words, their performing is as good as they are able. In order to qualify for special ed, there needs to be a gap. Their, their abilities are up here, but the performance is down here. So there's something that's happening where the performance is not meeting the ability. And that's where, you know, the special education teacher comes in and helps raise the performance to meet the ability. Now there's a spiritual truth to this as well. And when we're looking at God's expectations, our abilities, and then our performance. And so, God's expectations for us is perfection. Like in James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So the expectation from God is perfection. That's where we should be. Now we have our ability, and I believe our ability, without accounting for sin and the fall, God created us to meet that expectation. We see that in uh, the first two chapters in Genesis, where God creates humans and says humans are very good, and there is no sin in the world, and when sin entered the world, that's where the performance fell. But we do have the ability to be perfect, although none of us achieve it. Our abilities are in line with God's expectation. But now we have our performance way, 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 way down. Terrible level of performance as far as God's expectation of perfection. 
This is in, in Romans, pretty much the first three chapters of Romans is how terrible our performance is as far as meeting God's expectation of perfection. But it's kind of summarized in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, where it says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. So this is the biblical picture of God's expectation, perfection, our ability, which we are able to achieve, but we do not because we all choose sin, but then our performance is terrible. And we are far, far, far from perfect. Now, people don't like this picture, but that's the biblical picture. Even Christians will attack each level of this, but especially non-Christians. Sometimes people attack God's expectation and say God shouldn't expect us to be perfect. And that's what uh, it says in Job chapter 40. God says, would you condemn me that you may be justified? And sometimes people think God's expectation is not fair. So we should lower God's expectation, make our own expectation. And a lot of times, rather than perfection, what we think is God's expectation is 50%. As long as you do more good things than bad things, that's what God expects out of you. That's kind of the cultural standard, is if you do more good than bad, that's all God expects. So we change God's expectation, although biblically the expectation is perfection. Sometimes we completely change the expectation and change it rather than perfection, sinlessness, we change God's expectation to be like happiness. And as long as you're happy, then God's okay with you. God doesn't really care about your happiness. He cares about your holiness. That is not God's expectation. Sometimes we attack our ability and we say, we're just human beings. We can't be perfect. And God understands that. And and he doesn't expect us to be like that. So we don't think we have the ability to meet God's expectations. And uh, we bring that down to kind of meet our level. But again, that's not the biblical picture. Sometimes we attack the performance. And rather than saying we are far, far short of God's expectations, we say, you know, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I, I'm a good person. And we emphasize the good things we do rather than the bad things. And because our performance is so poor, we lower God's expectations and think they're not all that far apart. But again, the biblical picture is God's expectations are way up here. Our ability is up here, but our performance is way, way, way down here. And then we get mad at God about that. And maybe we could have a case except for our abilities are up here. We have the capability of doing it. So the problem is not with God. The problem is not with God's expectation. The problem is with our performance. And so like I was talking about a couple minutes ago about referring a student to special ed, when there's that discrepancy between ability and performance, then they qualify for special ed and they receive a helper, a special education teacher to help raise the performance to match the ability. And what we're going to look at tonight in Romans chapter 8 is that discrepancy of our God's expectations, our ability, and then our performance. But God himself gives a helper to help raise our performance, and that's the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit our helper. And the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is sent by God the Father and God the Son, who is Jesus, that after Jesus 
is crucified and resurrects and returns to heaven, he sends the Holy Spirit to live inside of Christians. And he is the member of the Trinity that lives inside of us as Christians after we receive our justification, which we talked about in Romans, you know, for a few weeks. Justification is the act of God declaring us legally righteous. So in other words, we don't meet God's expectation, but he says we are free from penalty because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit enters you as a Christian And He is what motivates you in the sanctification process, which is what we've been studying the last few weeks of Romans, is sanctification. And this is our walk with Jesus, growing more and more like Jesus as we are Christians and as we're praying and reading the Bible and serving. But it's the Holy Spirit who motivates all that. We don't want to do those things without the Holy Spirit. So the problem is our discrepancy from amongst God's expectations, our abilities, and our performance. That's the problem. But the solution that we'll see is we get the helper. And because we walk according to the flesh, there's the problem. God himself condemns sin. There's the solution. So that we can walk according to the Spirit. And that's the outcome. And that's the big idea they're looking at tonight in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. We walk according to the flesh, so God himself condemns sin, so that we can walk according to the Spirit. So first, let's explore the problem. The problem that we walk according to the flesh. This is our performance. This is the thing that's way, way, way below God's expectations. We walk according to the flesh. This is in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 5. Verse 5 through 8. We'll look at the problem first. And then we'll come back and see the solution. So the problem, Romans 5, 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, those verses are referring to our performance. This is the problem, that we walk according to the flesh. Now, if you're not a Christian, this is your only choice, is to walk according to the flesh. We see there's only you can walk according to the flesh and according to the Spirit, and only Christians are able to walk according to the Spirit because we've received the Holy Spirit. So if you're not a Christian, this is your only option. But Paul, the human author of Romans, is writing this to Christians who live in Rome. And that would indicate as Christians we have a choice. We have a choice of walking according to the flesh or walking according to the Spirit. So what's it mean to walk according to the flesh? A few things. The first part of verse 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. So how do you know if you're walking according to the flesh? That's, I think, the biggest indicator. What is your mind set on? It says, those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. So it starts in your mind. What is in your mind? What consumes your mind? And that would indicate if you're walking according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. Now it could be a lot of things that say we're walking according to the flesh, but I think it all ultimately culminates, it all builds to the point that 
having your mind set on things of the flesh is yourself. That's what the flesh is. It's being self-centered. It's doing what I want to do because it makes me feel good. I don't want anyone else to tell me I can't do it. I don't want God telling me I can't do it. Walking according to the flesh is being self-centered, self-absorbed, and self-involved. And if that's what is on your mind continually is yourself, you are probably walking according to the flesh because that's what it is. It's all about you or me. It's about my goals. I'm thinking about my money, my power, my name, myself, my happiness, my pleasure, my emotions, my feelings. The mind is set on myself. And that's a good indicator. What are you thinking about most of the time? Not that you can never think about yourself or your problems, but if that is continually on your mind, that's an indicator you're walking according to the flesh. What you think about is hugely important. Now what's the problem with this? Well, we'll see in a minute in verse 6, but there's also, I think this leads to, even as Christians, when we are self-centered in our thinking process, we start to develop a self-centered Christianity. And instead of the Bible being about Jesus, the Bible is about us. And instead of reading the Bible to learn about Jesus, we read the Bible to learn about us and how to solve our problems. And instead of Christianity being about worshiping God, it's how can God serve me and how can God fix my problems. We get a self-centered Christianity where really we are seeking the blessings from God without seeking God Himself first. And as it says in Matthew, to seek first the kingdom of God and all those things will be added to you. So a self-centered thinking process leads to self-centered Christianity. And really we want God to serve us instead of us serving Him. Then it says in verse 6, the other problem with having our mind consumed with ourself. It says in verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. So to have yourself always on your your brain, to always be consumed with yourself, that is death. Not it leads to death, not it causes death, it is death. Hey, we know this because the pursuit and preoccupation with yourself, that mentality does not work. This is the big problem in our culture, and it's not working. It does not work to live a lifestyle consumed with your own self and your own thoughts, and your own needs, and never be concerned for anybody else, or to be concerned for God. That style of thinking doesn't work. As we see this in the the most self-centered countries, the most individualistic, where it's all about me and my dreams, and pursuing what I want to pursue, the most individualistic countries are the most depressed countries. You can see this, you can look it up statistically, that's Always how it is. What's the number one most depressed country in the world? Not America. We don't win in this one. Number one is France. France is the most depressed country in the world. Number two, America. So we're the second most depressed country in the world. Statistically, you know, percentage-wise, the second most depressed country in the world. And we are very self-centered, self-absorbed, self-involved. And it does not work. Because the problem is yourself. And why is being consumed with yourself, how is that going to solve any of your problems? And it leads to that cycle of depression. And if obsessing over yourself made you happy, then we would all be a lot happier. Because we are 
consumed with our own needs and our own thoughts. And the reason that we're depressed is because of ourselves. And then we are always thinking about ourselves and we get depressed because we're kind of pathetic. Our performance is very low. And then we turn, rather than turning to God, we turn to self-help and self-esteem and something that's going to build us up. And there's a problem here because, you know, when I was talking about referring to someone to special ed where there's the ability up here, the performance down here, Turning to self-help and self-esteem is just saying, you know what, let's ignore that gap. You're pretty good, so just feel good about yourself. But it doesn't erase that problem. There's still that discrepancy. So we can feel good about ourselves. We can read about how we're all you know, conquerors and we're going to win and every day is a Friday and we can hear all those things. And it doesn't get rid of the problem of our ability versus our performance. We just feel better about being very pathetic way down here. So walking according to the flesh has a lot to do with the mind, what you think about. And if what you think about is yourself, all the time, you know, most of the time, then you are probably walking according to the flesh, and that's death. But those who walk according to the flesh are against God. And in verse 7, it says, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, for indeed can be. That lifestyle, that thinking process of walking according to the flesh is against God. It's God's enemy. It's hostile to God. And it says that it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. That style of thinking does not, is not compatible with what God asks of us through the Holy Spirit. If you are consumed with yourself, you are not consumed with God, and you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve yourself and serve God. And that style of thinking, whether it's Christian or non-Christian, is hostile to God because it is not subject to the law of God and it cannot be. It is not possible because those two things conflict. And then finally, where this all builds to, walking according to the flesh, is in verse 8. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're walking according to the flesh, you cannot please God. Cannot. Not kind of, you know, it doesn't say you, you don't please God a little bit. You cannot. It is impossible to please God while walking according to the flesh. And if we're walking according to the flesh, whether Christian or non-Christian, because there's a choice here, God is not happy with you. God is not pleased with you. I mean, He is offering help and patience and long-suffering, and love, and forgiveness. But we turn up our noses at Him and say that we don't need help. I just need to feel better about myself. I need self-esteem. I don't need God. And we turn away that love and that long-suffering of God and think we can figure it out on our own. And then, like I said at the beginning, we condemn God. We bring His expectations down so that we can feel better. But if you're walking according to the flesh, you cannot please God. The Bible says that everything we do outside of the Holy Spirit, the Bible compares those works to two things, filthy rags and dung. It says both. Those are what we do to try to please God while we're walking according to the flesh. It does not please God. You cannot please God walking according to the flesh. The reason why, I mean, when you think about this, it makes sense. Imagine somebody 
who has victimized you, abused you, done terrible things against you, and they come up to you and say, hey, you know what, I help old ladies cross the street and bring their groceries in. You don't really feel a whole lot better about them. It doesn't change your perception about them. It doesn't take away the things that you've done. And us trying to stand before God when we're walking according to the flesh and say, hey, I do this, I do this, it does not please God. Walking according to the flesh cannot please God. And God doesn't care that you call yourself a good person. He doesn't care that you are trying to do the right thing. If you're walking according to the flesh, you cannot please God. And again, this is directed at Christians as well. And there's two-thirds of this country is called a nominal Christian. That's a Christian in name only, where they call themselves a Christian, but walk according to the flesh. And calling yourself a Christian does not please God if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Coming to church does not please God on its own. Even serving a church does not please God if it is according to the flesh. Those walking according to the flesh cannot please God. So the big question is, are you walking according to the flesh? Are you mostly concerned with yourself? And that's it. If that's the primary concern in your life, then you're walking according to the flesh. And we all do this at times. I'm not saying I've got it all figured out. I get very self-absorbed and self-involved. But then what I'm doing is not being done in love. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, if you're not serving in love, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're not using your gifts in love. We're walking according to the flesh. If you're all, if you are walking according to the flesh, you're not pleasing God. He doesn't lower his expectations so that he's happy with you. His expectations are perfect. The problem is not God's expectation. The problem is not our ability. The problem is our performance. And if we didn't have the ability to meet God's expectations, then we could yell at God and say, you didn't make me good enough. But that's not the case. He made us to be very good and we chose to sin. And we inherit a sinful nature through the sin of Adam and Eve. The problem is not God. The problem is us when we are walking according to the flesh. So then how does God solve this problem without lowering His standard? Without lowering His expectation of perfection? The gospel is that God does solve this problem. He has an answer to this. We need to remember that God has no obligation to try to help us in this, to raise our performance, to send a helper. He did not have to do that. He did it because of love, because He's patient with us, because He is long-suffering. And a lot of times, you know, we ask, why do people go to hell? The right question is, why do some people get to go to heaven? Because we know all of our performance is very terrible. And we think that we just deserve for God to forgive us just because we're alive. But He does not have to solve this problem. He does not have to see how we've sinned and performed terribly and say, I have an answer for you. But He does because He loves us. Because we are created in His image and likeness and He has mercy on us. So let's look. That's the problem. That we walk according to the flesh. That's our performance. But let's look at God's solution now. God's solution to this is that we walk according to the flesh, but then God himself condemns sin. Verses 2 through 4 of Romans 8. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free 
from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So God's answer to our problem of our performance being far below His expectation is not, be better, try harder. It's, I'm going to come myself. I'm going to send my Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin myself. And so let's put this in kind of a logical order where we start, how, how does this work? It says in verse 3, the first part of that, that we are hopeless for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. We are hopeless. What I just talked about being according to the flesh, that's what we do outside of God. That's what all of us do. And even when we're Christians from time to time, we walk according to that way. What the law could not do, God Himself did. And what could the law not do? The law couldn't save us. The law can't bring our performance up. Because laws don't do that. Laws tell you what to do and what not to do. But laws don't help you to actually do those things. It just tells us what to do and what not to do. So the law could not save us. Following what God says to do and what He says not to do does not save us because we can't do it. We've already failed it. And we do the wrong thing and we don't do the right thing. And we fail in those ways over and over and over and over. And we're slaves to our sin. Like it says in Romans 6, how we are in bondage to our sin. Our sin is really the master over us. And we struggle against it like we saw last week in Romans 7. That we continue to do the things that we hate that we do. And we don't do the things that we want to do. And sin is our master over us. We're slaves to it. We were hopeless, walking according to the flesh. But then, the second part of verse 3, God sends His own Son. It says, What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. And this is so important. This is the gospel, that our performance is terrible. and We walk according to the flesh. And we cannot save ourselves because we're in bondage to our sin. But what we could not do, God Himself does. And God the Son, the second member of the Trinity, who's always existed in eternity outside of human history and human time, enters into human history and takes on, it says here, the likeness of sinful flesh. And this is so important. He becomes, He's fully God, but also is fully man. He takes on the likeness of our sinful flesh. That means He's a human He looks like us. This is the incarnation. But what it means by likeness is His flesh didn't sin. He didn't have those desires that He gave in. Well, He had the temptations, but He never gave in to those temptations. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh so that He could condemn sin in the flesh. So Jesus lived in the same flesh that we live in as a human, fully man. But he never gave in to sin. His performance met God's expectation of perfection. So he's able to be a perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins, to pay for the penalty of our sins so that we can be forgiven and no longer walk according to the flesh, but we can walk now according to the Spirit. It also says, it also says that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. 
And sin condemns us because there are, like I said, things that we do that we hate that we do. And sin condemns us. Sin says we are imperfect. We do not meet God's expectation. But Jesus, because he never sinned, is able to condemn sin. And because he resurrected, he was crucified and resurrected, showing he defeated sin. So since Jesus defeats sin by never sinning and by conquering it with his resurrection, he is able to condemn sin because he has power over it. Because Jesus condemns sin, the way the gospel works is that it says, our sin was put on Jesus while he was on the cross because he's our perfect sacrifice because he never sinned. And his righteousness was given to us. In the great exchange, 2 Corinthians 5.21, we received his righteousness and he received our sin, but he resurrects to prove sin does not defeat him. Even when our sins are upon him, it did not defeat him. Jesus condemned the sin that condemns us. And Jesus has power over our sin and Jesus condemns our sin. Therefore, we're set free. Hey, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That's what we were under. The requirement we were under was that we were walking according to the flesh. We were condemned by our sin. We were destined to an eternity in hell, suffering for our sins and our sinful nature. And Jesus condemns sin and sets us free. We could not be good enough to achieve what the law asked, but Jesus did it, and we're set free from that law. And it says in Romans 6 that we die to our sin. Our flesh, walking according to the flesh, we say that part of me is dead. The part of me that wants to be disobedient to God, the part of me that just wants to do whatever I want to do, we're saying that is dead. And then in Romans 7 it says we're also dead to the law because the law kills us. The law condemns us. That we do not achieve God's perform or His expectations, but we're also dead to that, it says in Romans 7. So we're dead to, the, to our sins and dead to the law. We've been set free because of Jesus. And we now, it says, have the spirit of life. The Holy Spirit. That Jesus condemns sin. He resurrects. And He ascends back to heaven. And then He sends the Holy Spirit to live inside His believers to inspire us, to motivate us in our sanctification, to want to love the things that God loves, to hate the things that God hates, to tell us that we don't want to walk according to the flesh. Because when we're walking according to the flesh and we don't care about God and we're not Christians, we don't have the Holy Spirit living in us, we don't care if we're walking according to the flesh. I was an atheist until about three years ago. I didn't, it didn't even enter my mind that anything I was doing was really that bad. I didn't care. You don't care that you're walking according to the flesh until the Holy Spirit enters you to condemn you, to tell you you are walking according to the flesh and you can be set free from that condemnation because of what Jesus has done for you. And we're set free to live according to the Holy Spirit. And then it says in verse 4 that we fulfill the law because of Jesus. He says the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement of the law, which is love under the new covenant, but perfection is what God set for His expectation of the law. That's fulfilled because of Jesus. Because Jesus met the expectation like we talked about, and that gets transferred onto our account, so to speak. 
and the righteous requirement of perfection, God's expectations is fulfilled because Jesus fulfilled it. And God loves us enough to let us change places with him and let our sins be upon him and his righteousness be upon us. Again, not because we deserve it, not because God is obligated to do it, but because he loves us and he loves his creation and he has mercy on us. So the problem is that we walk according to the flesh. The solution is God himself condemns sin in the flesh while living in the likeness of sinful flesh like us. Again, Jesus is victorious over sin. And rather than sin condemning Jesus and keeping him in the grave, he resurrects to show he defeated sin. And now Jesus condemns sin. And now the outcome is that we can walk according to the Spirit. Verses 9 through 11 say that, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Because Jesus condemns sin, we are able to not walk according to the flesh, but now we have the ability and the capability to walk according to the Spirit. And you do not have this choice if you're not a Christian, because the Holy Spirit does not live inside you. But as Christians, we can decide... Are we going to walk according to the flesh or walk according to the Spirit? And we've been given the ability to walk according to the Spirit. So how do we know that we're walking according to the Spirit, not the flesh? Well, just like walking according to the flesh, our minds are set on ourselves. It says in the second part of verse 5 that those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. So what is your mind set on? If it's the flesh, it's yourself. If it's walking according to the Spirit, your mind is set not on the pursuit of money, but on the pursuit of giving. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is set not on the pursuit of power, but on the pursuit of humility. If your mind is set on things of the Spirit, your mind is set on not on being served, but on serving others. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is set not on your happiness, but on your holiness. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is set not on yourself, but it's set on others. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is set not on being a good person, but it's set on being a godly person. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is not set on fame in this world, but it's set on fame for God's kingdom and advancing His kingdom rather than your own. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is set not on earthly things, but on heavenly things, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where they don't decay and they don't rust. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is not set on your will, but your mind is set on God's will. If you're walking according to the Spirit, your mind is not set on you, but it's set on Jesus. And when our mind is set on those things, when we're set free from the burden of ourselves, which is a terrible burden, like I said, we cannot handle that burden of being self-absorbed. When our mind is not set on those things, but set on Jesus, then we have life and peace. 
It says in the second part of verse 6. Well, it says in verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Being consumed with yourself is death, but being consumed with the Spirit is life and peace because we're free from the burden of ourselves. And we don't have to always be continually thinking about ourselves. We can be thinking about others and thinking about serving Jesus. And we have an inner peace of not being obsessed with ourselves anymore. And we have an inner peace of being at peace with God. And we're not God's enemy anymore. We're not against God. We're for Him. And He's for you. And if God is for you, then no one can be against you. And we're not God's enemy anymore because we're walking according to the Spirit. Our minds are set on the things of the Spirit. And now rather than never being able to please God, we are able to please God. Because as it says in verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If we're walking according to the Spirit, then we are God's. We are His, it says. If you're walking according to the flesh, you're not His. But we are God's possession. We are purchased at a price. Not with silver and gold, but with the blood of Jesus is what purchased us. So now we do please God. And we are not under His wrath, but now under God's favor. And we are His child. We're God's children when we're walking according to the Spirit. And He is our Father. And I think one of the amazing things reading, especially in the New Testament, is God could call Himself anything. He could call Himself Lord, what He does. He could call Himself King, what He does. He could call Himself Master. But above all that, God calls Himself Father. And He calls us His children. And that's our relationship with God when we're walking according to the Spirit. So you are His, and God will not leave you or forsake you. If some of us didn't have good earthly fathers. And my dad is great. You know, I, I don't see that, but I see working with kids in high school and in youth group, there's a lot of terrible earthly fathers out there. And as dads, we have this honor and responsibility to bring glory to the name of Father. But God is a perfect heavenly Father. And even though sometimes our earthly fathers disappoint us and maybe even abandon us and never see us, God is a perfect heavenly Father who is always with you. He won't leave you or forsake you. And He may discipline you like a good father, but He's not punishing you when we're walking according to the Spirit. We're not under condemnation. We're under salvation. We're not under His wrath. We're not condemned by sin. We're set free by Jesus. And that's the relationship we have with God when we're walking according to the Spirit. He is our Father. Above all, He's our Father. Jesus says when you pray, pray our Father who is in heaven. Another interesting thing it says here is that it says the Spirit of God dwells in you then it says later the Spirit of Christ. Those are interchangeable. Just a side note that Jesus is God. The Spirit of God equals the Spirit of Christ. Jesus is God. What's that? There's a math property for that. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Yeah, Jesus is God. Some people will say that Jesus is not God. But it says right here, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ, Jesus is God, the second member of the Trinity. Now we are gods when we're walking according to the Spirit. Then it says in verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Like I said, we put our old self to death. Jesus says if you want to be His disciples, you deny yourself. You deny your self-will, your control of your life. You deny that, 
and you pick up your cross daily. That's not a little burden you carry. It's picking up a cross. You take a cross to your death. So you're dying to yourself every day and following Jesus. It says, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we've put our old self to death and now we have new life. Jesus says he's made all things new. And who you used to be walking according to the flesh is dead. You don't have to live under that condemnation. You don't have to live that lifestyle. What we'll get into next week is you're not indebted to that. You are set free to live according to the flesh. Or according to the Spirit, sorry. You're not free to live according to the flesh. (laughs) Thank you. You're free to live according to the Spirit. And your sins are forgiven. And you're God's child. And you're not under condemnation. And that's your identity in Christ. And that's how you live. Because who you are determines what you do. And you're not under that condemnation. You're not under your old self. And sometimes the things we did before we knew Jesus come back to condemn us. But we don't need to live under that condemnation anymore. We've been set free from it. We are God's children and we have new life. That God has forgiven that sin. You can forgive yourself for that sin as well. If God's forgiven it, why can't you? And this is hard. It's not like, yeah, okay, I'll forgive myself. But we don't need to live under that condemnation of who we were while we were walking according to the flesh. Even as Christians, as we're walking according to the flesh, we repent, turn from our sin, turn to God, and it's forgiven. There's not a penalty we need to pay. We don't need to punish ourselves. We don't need to condemn ourselves because God isn't condemning you. Sin doesn't condemn you. Jesus condemns sin and you are seen through Jesus' righteousness. You don't need to live under that condemnation. You're set free from it because you have new life and it's life through the Holy Spirit in verse 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And this is amazing because Jesus was crucified to pay for our sins as the perfect sacrifice. And He was in the tomb for you know three days. And He resurrects. And it says here, the power that resurrected Jesus is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from death also brings you newness of life. And your old body who's dead now, the part of you walking according to the flesh that you've denied and you've picked up your cross to die to it, that same Holy Spirit who is able to raise Jesus from the dead and give Him a glorified body lives inside of you. So why do we condemn ourselves? And why do we walk according to the flesh when that life-giving power of the Holy Spirit is living inside of us? Again, we have the choice to walk according to the flesh or according to the Spirit. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can raise your dead flesh and pick you up from, instead of being under condemnation to hell, raised to life in God's eternal kingdom. We have life. The Spirit is life and peace. Not death like our flesh. Our flesh will physically die. We will be spiritually dead if we only ever walk according to the flesh. But the Spirit is life. Life in this life, physically, and life in God's kingdom when Jesus returns. Eternal life. And eternal life is not just a quantity of life, it's a quality of life. There's no more sorrow, no more pain, and God wipes away every tear. And we forget all the things we've done according to the flesh. There's no condemnation. It's all been forgiven. 
we have new life. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us and will one day raise us from physical death and give us glorified bodies. Jesus is the first fruits, it says in the Bible. He's the first one to resurrect and receive a glorified body. And not that we'll become gods, we'll become equal to Jesus, but we will also resurrect in a glorified body. Because that same Spirit that raised Jesus and that Jesus lived under in His earthly life lives inside of you. And as Christians, we have that Spirit living inside of us. That is, again, He's the one who makes us want to turn to Jesus and be out of the condemnation of our sin. And He's the one who motivates us in our sanctification to become more and more like Jesus. That Holy Spirit lives inside you as a Christian. So the question as Christians is not, do you have the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have you? The Holy Spirit is living inside of us, and He's there. But we can deny Him. We can grieve Him. We can choose to walk according to the flesh rather than according to the Spirit. We'll get into this more next week in verses 12 through 17. We have the Holy Spirit, but does He have you? Are you being led by Him? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Are you walking with Jesus every day, denying yourself, picking up your cross, reading the Bible? praying, serving, giving. Are you under the control of the Holy Spirit or are you under the control of your flesh? He is living in you. That same power is living within you. So why do we continue to walk in the flesh when we can walk according to the Spirit? I don't know. I do the same thing. There's lots of times I'm walking according to the flesh. And it's, well, I think, you know, it has to do with that battle where we've, denied ourselves. We said, I'm going to put my flesh to death, but your flesh doesn't die that easily. And it's always battling against the spirit and you're always struggling. And we give into that, but we do not have to. We can walk according to the spirit where there's life. Now the, the conclusion to all of this, that we have the problem of our performance being far below God's expectations when we walk according to the flesh. The solution is God himself condemns sin in the flesh to give us the Holy Spirit, so that He helps us. The Holy Spirit is our helper to help us raise our performance. Not that we'll ever meet God's expectation. We still won't get there because we're not completely Spirit-indwelt. But He helps us. He helps us raise our performance to more closely match with our abilities and God's expectations. And not that that saves you. You're already saved, not under condemnation, if the Holy Spirit is living within you. But as part of Him living in you is you want to raise your performance. You want your performance to more closely match what God expects out of you. Now the whole conclusion I've been saving, and this is like the best verse, I'm building up to it, rather than starting at it like Paul does, and then explaining, I'm building to it, and now we see where it says in chapter 8, verse 1, the conclusion. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. How much condemnation? No, none. None condemnation. None more condemnation. (laughs) Spinal tap. Uh, There's no more condemnation. No condemnation. doesn't mean there's a little bit of condemnation. There's no condemnation. 
there's no penalty for your sin. There's no sins being thrown at you in your face and saying you're not good enough. There is no condemnation for those who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. No condemnation. One of the best illustrations of this in the Bible is in John chapter 8 when the woman who was caught committing adultery is brought before Jesus. And the Pharisees had caught this woman committing adultery. This was a sin, I mean, still, you know, terrible today, but in those days, you would be put to death, you would be stoned to death for committing adultery. They both the man and the woman, that was God's law for committing adultery. The penalty was death. And Pharisees, the religious people, the most religious people, the people who thought they weren't walking according to the flesh, but they were, they catch this woman and bring her out before Jesus and saying, what are you going to do about this woman, Jesus? She was caught committing adultery. They were condemning her. Now we've all committed crimes in our flesh that are punishable by death. You know, biblically, but also this, the wages of sin is death. And we're going to physically die because we've committed sins that are punishable by death. So we should see ourselves as this adulterous woman, someone who's been caught sinning, been doing terrible things, far below God's expectations. Our performance is far below that. And the Pharisees are saying, what are you going to do about this woman? She was caught in her sins. And Jesus, he says, well, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. Because they're going to you know, pick up rocks and throw it at this woman to kill her because she'd been caught committing sins. Jesus said, whichever one of you who has never walked according to the flesh, you can throw the first stone. And it says how all the Pharisees, they dropped their stones one by one. And this is, we are the adulterous woman. We have all these sins, like little rocks with our sins on them that can be thrown at us. And sometimes the enemy throws those at us. Sometimes it's our own guilt. But all those sins are potentially going to be thrown at you like those rocks. But Jesus says, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. So they all drop their sin or their stone. And Jesus, like we said, because he never sinned and he resurrected, he condemns sin. So those sins that are going to be thrown at you to condemn you, Jesus is condemning those sins. He says, those sins do not condemn you. Those sins are not on your account anymore. You do not have to live like you've, like you're currently under penalty of those sins. You're set free. There's no condemnation. He looks at the pile of rocks and says, these have no, these cannot be thrown at you. There is no condemnation for those who walk according to Christ Jesus, according to the Spirit. There's no condemnation. It's not just logically here. If Jesus condemns sin, so we have no condemnation of our sins, who is the only one who is able to condemn you? Jesus. He's more powerful than sin. He condemns sin. So the only one left is Jesus. That's what happens with this woman. The Pharisees all drop their rocks. And what's left is the woman caught in adultery and Jesus. And that's us because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. So the only one who has authority to condemn us is Jesus. And it's us and Jesus. And what does Jesus say to the woman? He says, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. All of the sins that can be thrown at us to say, you are condemned, you are 
living according to the flesh. You're under God's wrath. You're not His child. You have sinned too greatly for God to forgive you. All those sins are condemned by Jesus. The only one who has a right to throw a stone at you is Jesus. But Jesus doesn't throw any stones. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Walk according to the Spirit. Your sins don't condemn you. I don't condemn you. Walk according to the Spirit. Non-Christians though, you're under condemnation. Hey, those sins, those stones with your sins on it are still condemning you. You're still under God's wrath. You're still walking according to the flesh. And walking according to the flesh does not please God. And you need to understand the problem is not God's expectation or your abilities. The problem is your performance. But Christians, there's no condemnation for you anymore. Jesus condemns sin. Jesus does not condemn you. You have the Holy Spirit. And it's not, do you have the Holy Spirit? It's, does the Holy Spirit have you? Are you walking with Him? And Christians, we please God now. We walk according to the Spirit. We are His children. We please Him. Yeah, our performance is still below our expectation, but there's no condemnation anymore. It's been forgiven. And our performance does not match our ability, but we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. If we're walking according to Him, what should be our desire as Christians to not want to walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit, we should want our performance to more closely match God's expectation. Not because we have to, not because we need to prove ourselves to God, not because He's not going to love us if we don't, but because that's what the Holy Spirit, that's the desire He gives you, is we want to please God because we love Him. It's just like in a marriage relationship, you don't do nice things for your spouse so that they will love you, hopefully in a you know ideal marriage. You do nice things for your spouse because they already do and you want to show your gratitude. And that's what walking according to the Spirit is. It's not a condemnation. It's not legalistic. It's not a law. It's we do it out of love and out of joy. And we walk according to the Spirit because your life is not yours anymore and you were purchased at a price. So as Christians walking according to the Spirit, what should be on our minds is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Good verse to memorize. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You. Thank You that there is no condemnation for us who walk in Christ according to the Spirit. Thank You that You are patient enough with us and loving that you don't just condemn us even though you have every right to, but you send your Son to forgive us the penalty of our sins and you send your Holy Spirit to help us. Lord, I pray that as Christians we would walk according to the Spirit. We would seek out your will and your word and we would pray every day to you to hear what your, to, to ask what your will is and we would grow in godliness and in holiness and in Christ-likeness and we would not be consumed with our own thoughts but with the needs of others and with worshiping our Lord Jesus. And Father, if there's those of us who are listening, who are walking according to the flesh, who do not have the Spirit, God, I pray you'd send your Holy Spirit right now to convict them of their sin, to show them that they're under condemnation, but they don't have to be. That all the sins that can be thrown at them are not going to be thrown at them because Jesus isn't going to throw them. Jesus doesn't condemn us. So we thank you for your son, for his sacrifice. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. 
You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or give us a call at 800-357-4226. There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.